Hello, and welcome to the Montague Reporter podcast. Our fairly frequent guest, Sarah Robertson, joins me in this episode in a conversation about her reporting on PFAS in drinking water in the November 11th, 2021 edition of the newspaper. For links to Sarah's reporting on this topic, check out the show notes. Okay, here's the show. Sarah Robertson, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I'm very happy to have you back. This is uh, your fifth time or sixth time. I'll have to go back. And I have check, not been but... keeping track. I hope it's the. I hope there's many more to come, though. Yes, you're um, a recurring guest on the podcast. <laughs> so, thank you so much for being here. And could you introduce yourself and say uh, your role at the Montague Reporter? Yeah, of course. Uh, Hi, I am Sarah Robertson, and I'm a contributing writer to the Montague Reporter. Sarah, this week you had uh, one of the top headlines in the Montague Reporter in the November 11th, 2021 edition, um, and the article is about PFAS. So to start out, so we've talked about this before, but to start out for anyone who hasn't heard of PFAS, what are they? Right, yeah, well... PFAS are, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but per, per or polyfluoracyl chemicals, um, they are kind of an emerging contaminant and the state government's looking at them, the federal government's looking at them, and they're really widely used in a lot of things like nonstick coatings on pans and water repellent and fire retardants and we're just kind of finding out that we've been using these for a long time and they've become really pervasive in the environment and our food and even in people so there's kind of an increasing awareness of geez these are everywhere and what are we going to do about them because they cause kind of unknown health impacts um but it's like kidneys liver cancer like all these kind of things like could be exacerbated by PFAS in our bodies. So we're working to get them out of the environment. So my understanding is it's a series of chemicals that were kind of invented in the last, I don't know, 50 years or something. And then they've kind of proliferated and haven't necessarily been um, studied in the long term yet. Although they're starting to study it. Is that right? Yeah, they're they're like this class, they're a whole class of chemicals. And I know by some figures, I've seen that there are like 8,000 different kinds of PFAS. There's mm-hmm. like PFOA, there's something called Gen X, but um, they've never been federally regulated. Even when we were like, hey, these might be toxic, the chemical companies were like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll voluntarily phase those out. And in the meantime, they're just inventing new ones. So, um, one of my interviews for this story last week was a professor at UMass who's working on studying these. And he said that trying to regulate them on an individual basis is like playing whack-a-mole because there's just thousands of them. And the article that you wrote this week specifically was about PFAS in water supply. Um, can you talk more about that and um, how that became an issue? Yeah. Uh So I was just kind of looking through some data that was available on the state website, and um, these were numbers, um, results from private wells that have been tested for PFAS across Massachusetts. And I noticed that a couple wells in Leverett had 
really high levels, um, like some of the highest in the state, to a point where they were deemed an imminent hazard. So the state came in and they were like, hey, these levels are really high. We don't know what's going on, but stop using your water right now. We're giving you bottled water and then you need to install an activated carbon filter to deal with the contamination. And um, that was a surprise because it was in North Leverett and there's no obvious signs of like industrial pollution, landfills, anything up there. So where it could have come from is kind of a mystery. So you've been on this beat for quite a while. Uh, I looked back, I like searched the archives for what it's worth. You can search the Montague Reporter archives. So I searched for PFAS and found a couple articles that the newspaper had published that you reported in the April 29th, 2021 and March 4th, 2021 editions. And you also talked about a story, the March 4th story in the March 30th edition of the podcast. So if listeners want to go back and read or listen for more details on that, they can. So I was wondering if you could talk about what we know now about PFAS and water supply that we didn't know then. My last few stories, they were kind of just like, hey, PFAS are becoming a thing. And I looked at it from the water treatment standpoint. So like our water treatment facilities had to start testing and looking for PFAS. Um, and then we found out that the Swift River School in um, on the Wendell-New Salem border had PFAS in their water, so they had to stop using their water. And when we first reported on that story, they were just like, we're still testing. Um, we're, the levels might go down. We're going to see. And since then, they have completely stopped using their water. They're giving kids bottled water, and they're actually not even cooking with the water anymore. Um, the town has started looking at a um, filtration system that's going to cost them like $40,000. So that's a pretty big chunk of change for a place or a community that is not really all that wealthy. And it's a really small school and it's like preschool through sixth grade. So these are really young kids and they like can't risk it. So yeah, the school's now looking into a filtration system. But another thing we found out was um, that Who's, who has to pay for remediation in some of these cases where there's contamination in a private well or in something like a school um, will depend on where it came from. So like if you find out who's the responsible party, they could get billed for the remediation or at least that's what the state told me after I was haggling them. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this issue and some other issues as well, because there were a lot of like policy related questions or things that you brought up in your article that I thought were really important to discuss or that policymakers might not have foreseen, or maybe they did and they didn't address them. But um, this issue of finding the source of the pollution and trying to hold them responsible, otherwise individual homeowners or individual schools are kind of on the hook for expensive remediation for this pollution. And then some people said that because of that, they actually did not want to know if there was PFAS in their water source. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's awful, right? Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Joe Comerford though. Um, she has really been on this and she has been part of the PFAS task force. And she brought this issue up to them directly um, after she had a live stream with Jim McGovern, where one of their constituents actually came up and they were, she was like, hey, I'm pregnant. 
I think I've PFAS my water. I can't afford to fix it if I do, so I'm not going to test. And that's just a huge gap in the public health goals that go into this testing program. Like you can't say, hey, here's a free test. We're trying to find out where places are contaminated with PFAS. Um, you're on your own once we once we find it. Which hasn't proven to be the case because um, from what we heard with the people with the imminent hazard levels in Leverett, the state is installing their filtration systems. So it seems like if you reach a certain threshold and it's an and it's a really urgent danger, they'll fix it. But a place like Swift River School kind of falls in the in-between um, where it's well above the safety standard, but below this imminent hazard, and they are really on the hook for fixing it, at least as of right now. So obviously the Swift River School has um, a larger cost uh, because it's a kind of an institutional setting, but for a homeowner, do you do you have an idea of how much it costs to install these carbon filters that are apparently used for filtering out PFAS? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of standard issue carbon filters. So, like, uh, I looked I looked up some, and they're depends like how big they are. They could be eight hundred bucks, twelve hundred bucks. Um, but there's another cost associated with that. That is, you need to replace the filters with some frequency, or they stop working. Um, so not only do you need to buy new filters every once in a while, you're now dealing with disposal of hazardous waste. Um, and as a private homeowner, dealing with that is just not going to be very fun or very cool. Or another issue that homeowners are worried about is like, what does this do to your property value? If you live in this idyllic, beautiful hilltop piece of property in Leverett, and then, oh, by the way, we have this massive filtration system in the basement you need to maintain indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've already kind of talked about the Swift River School, but can you talk more about what the process has been like for the town in like testing and where the plans stand now for what how they're going to deal with PFAS for the school's water supply? Yeah. Like I said, they're looking into a filtration system. The other option, which would be preferred because it wouldn't come with those recurring costs, would be to drill a new well. But again, this is dependent on where the pollution comes from. And if it is widespread all around the school area, then they can't just drill another well, even though they would prefer to do that. And other schools in the area were a little better off. So like Leverett Elementary actually did detect some PFAS. They're around, I think, 4.5. And then the other schools we asked were Irving and Shootsbury, and they didn't have any. So Leverett's not doing anything about that at this point, but if the levels go up, then they'll have to. So they're going to keep monitoring for that. The private well testing program is kind of the state's way to just pinpoint where the pollution is coming from. So they want these data points so they can see what the bigger picture is. But people in Wendell don't want to be like, I don't want to find out if my water's bad and then have to fix it myself. So there's only been like 20 people in Wendell who have done it. And there's only been four people in New Salem who have had their wells tested. It's all around the Quabbin. So you think that would be of critical importance. Yes. Like the Swift River School is in the Quabbin watershed. This goes, this is Boston's drinking water supply. Mm-hmm. So those guys out east have something to care about out here for once. Mm-hmm. Do you know, Sarah, whether municipal water supplies like Boston's water supply or Greenfield's water supply is already tested for PFAS? Yes, that's part of the program too. 
Mm-hmm. This is also data that we can look up online and something that I um, talked about in my first story a little bit, like Turner's has been testing their water supply for PFAS since before this program and they're fine. From what I can recall, Greenfield is fine too. And I think, I think all of Montague's, but I might have to double check that. Um, but municipal water supplies have been tested as part of this program and they are still testing some. Mm-hmm. Um, and as of this point, the only kind of public, I mean, Swift River School is a public water supply, but it is also a, a well. Um, they're the only ones that we know that have actionable levels that serve the public in Franklin County. So just like zooming out to the much bigger picture, Massachusetts seems to be pretty unique in its regulation of PFAS. Is that right? Um, I'm not sure if they're unique. They're they're kind of a, they're ahead of a lot of states. They have more stringent regulations than a lot of states. Definitely, mm-hmm. um, they are kind of behind Maine, which is which has a safe standard. I can't tell you the exact number right now, but Maine also has a pretty strict safety standard, and Maine has also already passed laws committing to um, getting PFAS out of consumer products by, uh, I think, 2030 entirely. So we're we're following Maine, but we're definitely ahead of a lot of the country. And we're lucky that we don't have major chemical manufacturers here. Like, um, there's a big lawsuit with 3M in Alabama right now where they're paying like a couple million dollars to the surrounding community for PFAS contamination. Well, isn't PFAS like it finally like got a big spotlight on it because of contamination in the Housatonic River near Pittsfield from GE? Um, Was the who's? Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry to put you on the spot. For me, it was... There's like some reporting in 2015 and 2016 by Sharon Lerner of The Intercept on mm. um, PFAS contamination in Maine. So shout out to Sharon because she kind of got me hooked on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the source of that contamination was sewage sludge based products like cow bedding and fertilizer. Yeah, that actually surprised me in the article of that. Uh, was published this week that okay I just want to shout out the article it's it's re- it's a really long piece it's really um, a really important topic and it's one of those things that I like read and I'm like wow the Montague reporter like the reporting is just so good <laughs> that newspaper punches above its weight every single week and if you yes just you can pick up anything in front to back it just kicks ass <laughs> Yeah, it's a super long article and great job. Um, So I'm really excited that you were available to talk about it. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that like one of the many things that surprised me when I read the article was that the use of sewage sludge as um, like in farm settings could be a main way that PFAS gets into the environment. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's something Professor Dave Reckhow told me, and something that I've kind of been interested in for a little while, as we've also reported in the Montague Reporter, we're having a like sewage sludge disposal crisis right now mm-hmm. in New England, and this is making it a hell of a lot harder. There's growing concern that there is PFAS in sewage sludge, it doesn't break down under traditional um, wastewater treatment technologies. It actually 
when you filter the water out and you treat the water, it gets more concentrated in the sludge. And then what do we do with the sludge? We either burn it. It needs to be burned hot enough to destroy the PFAS or else we're emitting it into the air. Um, and another way to dispose it is to compost it and use it as fertilizer, which is the best way to reclaim all of the nutrients that we lose when we pee and when we poop. But it's now filled with these chemicals that we don't know how to destroy and that there's really no way to filter out because they're so pervasive and they just cling to things so tightly. But yeah, sewage sludge could be a source of this. So we're um, kind of looking into that too. So how does it get into sewage sludge? Like how does PFAS get into sewage sludge in the first place? Is it from um, human bodies like, or from some kind of industrial setting that like emits wastewater or what yeah from my understanding all of the above mm-hmm. they're, they're looking at limiting PFAS and consumer products so like anything that washes down your sink like you wash your makeup off your face some makeups have PFAS in them for waterproofing and like when you wash your Teflon pans it can go down there and like waterproof clothing is another source and that could be a source of it it's probably just trace amounts um there are also possible industrial sources so looking forward what do you see as the the future of this beat like will you continue reporting on well sampling or is there something else coming up that you might report on Hmm. um well the well sampling program is kind of finishing up their first round in a bu- in some communities. Um, they haven't started in Irving yet, and we're really interested in what they're going to find along the Millers River. because um, Why? Because some USGS did a um, study of a bunch of tributaries of the Connecticut, and um, they found PFAS in every single tributary of the Connecticut. Um, but the Millers was, I think, especially high, and then a river down in the Westfield area, obviously, because Westfield, the Barnes Airport, is kind of like ground zero for PFAS in Western Mass. And that is firefighting foam. And firefighting foam is actually the kind of thing people associate with PFAS contamination at this point. So if you go, oh, my water's contaminated. Was there ever a fire here? Are we near an airport? But I think it's a lot more broad than that. So those like firefighting demonstrations that I witnessed at my elementary school was actually potentially contaminating the school well. Maybe. Are those that common? Are people, are people, do they really have firefighting demonstrations? If that's like a once a year thing, it's it's very, very potent with PFAS, the firefighting foam. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, yeah. They, they like started a fire in a barrel and then like showed everyone how to use a fire extinguisher. And then we each got a chance to like shoot the fire extinguisher at the fire. Man. Yeah, that's a lot of kids shooting a lot of foam. How many fire extinguishers did you go through? Oh, I don't remember. I think it was like one time in elementary school. But yeah, it's definitely a memory, a childhood memory. (laughs) Well, I hope it was worth it. I hope so. I mean, a lot of people also die in fires. So I'm not trying to minimize the danger of of fires and people do need to know how to use fire extinguishers. But Mm-hmm. Um, it just made it, that memory came up for me when you were discussing fire foam mm-hmm. being a source of PFAS. Yeah. And there's a, there's a trade-off because they want to phase out PFAS from like all industrial and consumer uses 
mm-hmm. except for things that are absolutely necessary. And is there anything better at putting out a fire than what exists in a fire extinguisher right now? Like, mm-hmm. are we going to make our fire extinguishers less effective because we want to get rid of this one chemical? And in years, it could be it could be another chemical that we're all talking about in just a year from now. There's mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's hard for us to we we can't regulate as fast as they invent chemicals. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. But there there are alternatives. I wonder if they're doing demonstrations like that nowadays, though. I don't know. Right into the podcast, podcast at montaguereporter.org. If you have any comments on this or if you have any inside knowledge on firefighting demonstrations that are done at elementary schools. Yeah. And please let me plug if someone has had their well tested, even if it's not a high level or if you got a really high level, I would love to talk to anybody about what you found out and just kind of gather knowledge on where we're finding PFAS in Franklin County. Because we're a really rural county. Where's this stuff coming from? Uh, How can people reach you, Sarah? Maybe they should just reach out to the paper. Okay. Editor at MontagueReporter.org. That'll find its way to me, sure. Yeah, Mike will forward. He's not not busy. (laughs) In good time, Mike will forward your email to Sarah. (laughs) Sarah, is there anything else that you wanted to add talk about today i can commend the podcast in general oh so cool you keep doing this i just listened to your new episode uh last night while i was doing the dishes thanks that's great good to have uh, a few listeners out there who give some feedback we have a key fast in general i just i'm kind of hooked on covering it right now because it's just it's a man-made chemical and it is so pervasive that it is shocking how it has gotten places like Wells and North Leverett and Shootsbury. Also, we haven't mentioned Shootsbury yet, but they have a couple that are really high. And there's just a couple industries. There's just a couple companies that manufacture these chemicals. And when did they know that they were harmful? How long have we known they were harmful? And how long have they been in use and been spread? So I just kind of like looking at that from a hyperlocal angle. And just worried about people's health. Well, thanks for your hard-hitting environmental reporting, Sarah. Gee, thanks. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Yeah, of course. I hope I hope this is useful and helpful and sounds good on the back end. Mm-hmm.